Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. For today's podcast, we're going to be taking a deep dive into a company, Microsalt. Uh, it is a low-sodium technology company which has developed a salt which can reduce the sodium in salt by as much as 50%. And to discuss the company and their future prospects, as well as the wider problem and the health problems we're seeing with the overconsumption of salt. We're very kindly joined by non-executive chair of Microsalt, Judith Bachelor OBE. Judith, thank you very much for being with us today. Not at all. A pleasure to be here. Thank you. So, Judith, we're going to be discussing in some detail the regulatory environment. We're going to be looking at the health implications of the overconsumption of salt, as well as where micro salt fits into this picture. But before we do that, Judith, would you be able to give us, please, an introduction to yourself and a little bit about micro salt, please? Yeah. So uh, I've spent uh, most of my life in the food and drink industry, probably 40 years in food manufacturing agriculture and retailing. Um, But actually, I started my life off as a biochemist. And my first job was working for a pharmaceutical company. Um, And that's when I got interested in nutrition. And and that has been a constant theme throughout my whole career. And uh, because uh, salt has uh, been, I suppose, on, on the public health radar since the 1990s, it's always been there as as part of the role that I've done within the food industry. So I've seen, you know, over very, very many years, many attempts to lower salt in the diet for all sorts of reasons. So when, um, in fact, funnily enough, I was was working um, with Lord Willits, David Willits, when he was at um, the Department for Business and, and Innovation. And I shared with him an agritech council and basically um microsoft was introduced to me because of him because he had come across this business and he sent me an email and said um this looks like really interesting technology and when i read what they were doing and read that basically they could produce salt but in very 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 small particles that gives you all of the hit of um, the flavor of salt but with half the sodium I I was very excited having spent 30 years of my life trying to reduce salt in foods this felt like a massive game changer so when the opportunity came along to join Microsalt I, I grabbed it with both hands it's very interesting, Judith, that you mentioned that salt and overconsumption of salt has been an issue since the, the 1990s. Why do you think it's a particular problem now? And what's the real need to address it now? You know, in terms of if we were looking what's happening on a global basis in, in terms of the cardiovascular diseases, how has that progressed since the 1990s? Yeah, it's a good question, actually, because in the early 1990s, not much was done about it. And the government in in this country produced a report that made some very strong recommendations about reducing salt in the diet. And and they weren't taken up for another 10 years. And it wasn't until 2001 when um, 
a chap called Professor Graham McGregor in this country really became the pioneer for um, acting on salt. And he was particularly interested in the link between salt and high blood pressure. But of course, high blood pressure leads to all sorts of other challenges. So the knock-on effects of having high blood pressure um, range far and wide. And therefore, the cost to the National Health Service of a high salt diet uh, is, you know, shouldn't be underestimated. So the business case um, for dealing with high salt diets became much, much more obvious, I think, to government. And at that point, they introduced the first salt targets for food manufacturers and retailers. So this is setting targets for the reduction of salt. And that that went on for, for four rounds, actually. We're on the fifth round of salt reduction targets now. And that, that's this year, actually. And, and we're not going to hit it. But that um, progress in the first few years was was pretty good, actually. And salt has come down in the diet, but not to anywhere where it needs to be. So, for example, um, the target in the UK is six grams of salt um, per day. And at the moment, the average is 8.4. And for men, it's even higher. Um, over nine grams a day, average male is consuming. And for women, it's about seven and a half grams a day. So we are nowhere near hitting the target that we need to hit. And that's because, basically, if you take too much salt out of foods, um, they don't taste quite as good. So consumers reject um, those products because they're not as tasty. And just the same way that foods that have sugar in them and fat in them taste tasty too. So um, we've got this challenge that we have compromised taste to the point that customers reject those products. And therefore, if you look from about 2015, 2016 onwards, the reduction of salt in, in foods really has hit a bit of a brick wall and we've kind of run out of road. And that's why this technology and microsalt as a product is such a game changer. The other thing is that if you look at that salt, most of that salt in people's diets comes from prepared foods that they've purchased, not from salts that they add at home when they're cooking or from salts that they um, add at the table. So um, there is a real uh, opportunity from a business to business point of view to basically provide an ingredient that enables food manufacturers to reduce salt levels, as well as a retail offering, um, again, for customers who do use salt at home. Thank you. So it seems there, Judith, from what you've said, that there's, of course, been been action taken and, and uh, target setting by the government, which, which haven't been met. And you know, in the industry, it sounds like there's maybe a bit of an unwillingness from taking previous low salt alternatives, you know, and pushing that through into their products due to the, the taste factor. So, so yes. what was it about micro salts in particular drove you to take up your position as non-executive chair? Yeah, I think um, a couple of things, really. One is um, the fact that it does work <laughs> um, and it does work quite universally, really, in all sorts of different products. So 
if, if you were to look at the government SALT targets, they set those SALT targets specifically by each individual food category. So um, there are 84, would you believe, 84 different categories of food, all of which have their own SALT target. So things like meat products and within meat products, you'd have things like bacon and sausages, um, breakfast cereals, all sorts of things. And um, what you'd sort of find is that microsalt works in most of those uh, product categories and in different applications. So it works really well in bread um, because it's such a small particle it distributes really evenly in mixes. So, for example, in bread, it also helps the proving time of the bread because it's distributed more evenly throughout the dough. Um, on things like uh, salty snacks, where it's basically applied topically um, on a crisp or a snack, because it's a tiny particle, it adheres to the, the product better than a larger particle of salt, and therefore you don't waste as much in the manufacturing process. And in other things, um, for example, pre prepared meals, um, it can it work over the life of the product, so you don't lose that flavour over, over time. So it, it's got huge applications. And also, because it's basically salt and it's it's a very, very small particle of salt, um, it really is. It's not quite a like for like substitute, but with a lot of food ingredients that are looking to replace something else, then you end up adding more ingredients to compensate for the ingredient that you've taken out. Whereas when you're just replacing salt with micro salt, it's not quite as straightforward as that, but it is pretty straightforward. Um, that is unusual uh, for, for these kind of innovative ingredients. And I think for, for manufacturers, um, particularly manufacturers who are challenged by some of the new legislation, um, and I'm talking about things like the high fat, sugar and salt legislation or FSS foods, as they're described, uh, those brands um, have got a motivation to reduce their salt levels and their sugar and fat levels, because if they don't, uh, they won't be able to promote and advertise those products in, in the way that they have historically. And some of that has already come into force. Um, for example, what we describe as product placement, so where you can place these products within a supermarket environment, for example. But there's also um, things that you may have heard about, for example, um, the ban on advertising before the 9pm watershed, um, the, the removal of, of those products from promotions that sit on the end of aisles and are those sort of hot spots for, for promoted products. So there's, there's all sorts of motivations and the market is driving that partly through regulation and partly through people being more aware of having a low salt diet. So all of those things come together do make for a, um, a perfect environment for the salt reduction um, agenda to take off uh, again and give that whole um, target setting and achieving those targets a new lease of life. Yes, and, and that's a very good point I'd just like to pick up on, actually, Judith, because if you look at the HFSS 
foods. Of course, sugar, as, as we all know, ha- has really been in the targets of, of particularly the UK government uh, over the last 10 years. Do you feel that, that salt's been neglected to some extent? And do you see that being bumped up the agenda by this government or, or maybe the next government, whoever comes in uh, at the end of this year? Do you think that is going to be an area that you really see policy coming in and policy changes, particularly around salts? Yeah, no, I think that whole HFSS agenda is not going to go away. And if anything, um, the I suppose the interventions from government are going to be stronger. And I think you've already seen that from um, the opposition and some of the recent announcements that they've made, um, particularly from a public health point of view, about um, where they'll be setting some of those targets. And I know there was a when the sugar levy was brought in for, for soft drinks and that caused a whole host of... Um, activity within the soft drinks industry to to reduce um, sugar levels or pay the levy. I, I'm not sure there the will be a salt levy, but, but certainly the kind of scrutiny that organisations were put under to make sure that they were doing that reformulation work where possible. Um, you know, there, there was huge scrutiny from government. The, the difference, I think, with salt is up until now, there hasn't really been an ingredient that could do the job of traditional salt in exactly the same way. So many of um, what would be termed salt replacers historically um, were things like potassium chloride rather than sodium chloride, but they have a different flavour and, and they behave differently. And that caused all sorts of things, again, around taste acceptance, and it, it just didn't didn't work. So having something that literally is just salt, but smaller version of it, um, is going to be more acceptable and does give manufacturers, brand owners, retailers the opportunity to go again on this agenda. And I think that that is going to be an important factor in this, whereas if you go back two or three years, people really had hit a brick wall on this. And I can give you examples of where people had been very um, adventurous in terms of lowering salt, for example, in breakfast cereals. And and basically they had to reformulate and add some of that salt back in because customers just rejected the products. So it's um, the timing is right, I think. Fantastic. So it sounds like there, Judith, that in the past, there has been a willingness from from business to reduce salt. But ultimately, the ingredients they had at their disposal at that point in time produced maybe in, in their view and consumers views an inferior product. So micro salt sounds like it does represent a step change in the alternatives that these manufacturers can use going forward. I mean, in, in terms of what companies have, have been doing and, and you know, the, the companies that you're speaking to as, as um, Microsoft, do, do you think there is a willingness across the board, you know, maybe not just in the HFSS, but across the board and in, in the food industry to reduce sodium? Or, or do you feel that we're going to need some form of 
of action from from the government. Oh, you, you said that obviously there won't be anything like a, a sugar levy, a, a salt levy, mm. but you think there's going to have to be some involvement from the government in terms of encouraging these businesses across the board to adopt low sodium options? Yes, and I think um, some of that will be around investment in um, innovation. So if you look at the UK, for example, UK Research and Innovation, UKRI, um, has put money into the research councils to look at exactly these kinds of things. So um, there's a thing called the Open Innovation Research Club, which provides basically open innovation for um, all businesses to share and take part in. And one of those work streams as, as part of that open research innovation research club is a, a work stream on reformulation, because I think the government sees that it has to incentivize help and provide um, research monies to help businesses push that agenda forward. Um, so I think there are incentives. There is obviously regulation. And I think there's also just the sort of um, court of public opinion on this that says if you can do something about these things, then you should. Um, and because we now have the mechanisms to do something about it, then why wouldn't you? And there's that lovely saying that, you know, if if customers knew what we know, what would they expect us to do? And I think they would expect us to do something about it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's um, the time. The time is right. Thank you very much, Judith. So, so just to finish off and for listeners to get your perspective on where you see the industry going, would you be able to give us some key milestones that you see on the horizon for the, the food industry in terms of sodium reduction and maybe where you see microsalt fitting into that journey yeah i think um the first thing is this is a global issue it's not a uk issue and if you look at other countries and i'm thinking particularly places like mexico and south america they have been much more uh ambitious with the targets that they've set for the food industry in those countries so the reason we ended up with a sugar levy was the exemplar for um, reducing sugar consumption from soft drinks was actually Mexico. And, and Mexico led the world on that. And it, it's, it is a case study that everybody mentions. And I think if you look at the South American countries and what they're trying to do, um, particularly as the growth of, of some of those big FMCG brands that are often high in fat, sugar and salt, they are encouraging business uh, in in all ways to deal with these agendas. And I say, whether it's salt, sugar or fat. I think the other thing is, um, I think next year or this year, in fact, there are going to be more general elections in the world than ever before. I think 40 countries, 70% of the world's population will have a new leader and a, a new leadership party this year. And a lot of those parties are, I suppose, focused on what we would call um, the sort of chronic uh, lifestyle diseases. So things like cardiovascular disease globally. 
And if you add that to the fact that there are already literally, I think, over 80 countries that have already got SALT targets um, at a national level, then this agenda is only going to grow. Uh, So I think watch this space um, from a global perspective um, as these parties come in on, on particularly on health of the nation type issues. I think when we get to the kind of end of this year and that we will have a new government of some description, then expect these things to be absolutely um, high on the agenda because they are so fundamental to the prevention of ill health. And I also think um, a lot of the things that um, have been talked about from a food and diet point of view start at quite a young age. So I think there's going to be a much greater emphasis on the advertising of these kinds of products that are high in fat, sugar and salt to young people and um, what that means for things like um, the rules and benchmarks for school meals, for example. And this is about making sure that, the, you know, when young people are developing their palates, they're not developing their palates um, in a way that enables them to enjoy high fat, sugar, salt foods, but that their palates are educated in a way that basically means that they don't ever get used to eating those products. So there are some, some quite big things coming down the track uh, in, in that respect. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a fascinating point that you make there, Judith, that if you ingrain into the younger generations that you know high, high fat, high sugar, high salt diets are not conducive to a healthy lifestyle and they get used to those flavours, that's, that's a big hurdle to, to overcome and, and really sets up generations going forward uh, for, for healthy eating. So as you said, I'm sure listeners to this podcast, Judith, will be watching this space with interest and seeing how micro salt develop over the coming years and hopefully as things progress we'll welcome you back onto the podcast uh, in the in the coming months to see how things are going then so judy thank you very much for being with us this evening no well well thank you and i shall look forward to coming back and talking more about it but uh, for now um that's probably enough isn't it thank you that was that was fantastic so judith once more thank you very much and thank you very much to everyone for listening thank you thank you We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember all investment involves risk.